Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. We've got members of the media, academia, and financial services standing by as we analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. We're going to kick things off with a look at food prices. And, you know, Independence Day is right around the corner. You may be getting prepped for your July 4th cookout. I, you know, I love hot dogs, hamburgers, baked beans, you name it. I like to eat it. Joining me on the line, she's a senior economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the program, Veronica Nye. Veronica, so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks for having me on. This is, uh, of course, one of everyone's favorite holidays uh, for eating and for celebrating with friends and family. Absolutely. I love, as I said, I love Independence Day. Let me, let me start off. I want to get into the report that you and the American Farm Bureau Federation issued about the cost of food. But what's your favorite? Can you tell us your favorite uh, cookout food for July 4th? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Is that a trick? That um, that's not a trick question. It's not. No, no. Um, uh, let's see. I think probably, let me give you two favorites. Sure. I really like deviled eggs mm. and um, strawberries. Um, deviled eggs because I have a nice childhood memories of my mom making deviled eggs and then leaving them in their refrigerator uh, accidentally and then us being able to eat them for, you know, several days after the barbecue. And, and strawberries just because they're delicious. Yeah. And they're good for you, too. I actually, I yeah, think, yeah. depending on who you talk to, eggs are good for you as well, maybe in moderation. But let's let's talk about the, <laughs> this this market basket survey that uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation just recently did, and the U.S. consumers are going to pay roughly around seventy dollars for their favorite Independence Day cookout foods. That's cheeseburgers, pork chops, chicken breasts, homemade potato salad. I love that, by the way. Strawberries and ice cream. The cost has gone up about seventeen percent. I want to get you, start with your perspective on that. Um, what, what's your first reaction when you were doing the survey? Well, so our, I think it's important for, for me to give a little context about our survey. Um, we ask our volunteer members um, to, to shop across the country. Um, they, they get a product list, and they take it to their local grocery store. Um, sometimes they go specifically to do the shopping for the survey, and sometimes they're uh, just writing down the pr- the prices as they're ch- you know doing their own shopping, mm-hmm. um, but our members of course tend to be uh, uh, residents of rural areas, um, and so typically we do tend to see higher food prices in rural areas, uh, just because oftentimes that food has to travel a further distance um, in order to to reach their grocery stores. So um, you know the the CPI uh, measurement uh, that that the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out uh, for May listed for the uh, 12-month period ending in, at the end of May, uh, food inflation of 10.1%. So our 17% is a little higher than that, but is pretty much in line, you know, once we factor in uh, the the rural nature of our shoppers, um, is pretty much in line with, with what we were expecting even though, of course, that's the largest increase we've had in the 10 years that we've been doing the survey. 
And thank you for that context. Let me let me ask you about causation, and I think you hinted towards some of this. Um, a lot of Americans, not just for Fourth of July, but Americans in general, paying more for gasoline, more for food. There's supply chain disruptions. Um, is all of this a causation towards uh, higher food prices that we're all seeing, not just for Fourth of July, but also, um, you know, when we go to the f- food store every week? Yeah, you know, it's I, you, you certainly hit the nail on the head for some of those input costs because not only are farmers consumers, just like everybody else, but all of those items that you mentioned, gasoline, diesel, fertilizer, uh, seed, all of those items are input costs to their business. Uh-huh. So um, farmers have been looking at, uh, you know, the cost of fuel being up significantly. Fertilizer prices have tripled um, since last year. So, you know, the bottom line is that the farmers are um, paying a lot more for their for all of the things that it takes to, to produce their crops, um, in addition to, uh, you know, those additional inflationary pressures. Uh, and then I think one thing that's uh, a bit unique uh, to agriculture is the impact of Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine. Um, and let me put that in a little bit of context, because uh, it's hard sometimes, I think, to why does that matter to agriculture? Um, and that's because Ukraine is one of the world's largest growers of corn and wheat um, and sunflower seed oil. And so since the Russian invasion, that was, their production has been basically off the market. Um, and so when you're looking at a large exporter of those products being out of the market, um, it increases the cost globally. So the, the cost of corn has gone up. The cost of wheat has gone up. Um, the cost of some, uh, excuse me, well, of course, sunflower seed oil, but soybean oil as well, because it's a substitute for sunflower seed oil. All of that has gone up. Um, and then you couple that with the fact that Russia is one of the world's largest producers and exporters. Uh, we all know now of gasoline and oil uh-huh. um, and, and uh, natural gas, but they're also some of the world's largest producers of fertilizer. So all of those uh, are important inputs for, for farmers. So the as far away as Russia and Ukraine are from the United States, they're having significant impact on on food prices um, and input costs for for farmers and for consumers at large. A, a really good point about the interrelationship or the interdependency. Uh, you know, we're in a global economy, and so it's not just the American farmer consuming or using all these inputs from America, it's around the globe. So these things have an impact. Um, what, when you talk to your, your members, um, how are farmers doing in general? I know that you mentioned that there are high fuel prices, trouble with getting fertilizer and some of these other inputs. But maybe before that, how were farmers doing? Uh, they, do, they obviously do an import, have an important role because you can't live without eating you know, food, shelter, you need, you need those things. But how are the, how is the farming community doing prior to some of these disruptions? You know, I think that's a a good question um, because we, we all have a tendency to think about the right now Um, when farmers and and businesses at large are, and and families, all all of us, uh, our experience is, and what we're going through is not just what's happening at the moment, but what has been happening. So, um, you know, it's been a it's been a challenging last several years for for farmers. 
Um, I'll take you back to um, even even a few years ago, 20, uh, 2018, um, we began a trade uh, sort of dispute with China and China targeted U.S. ag products. And we saw our exports to that market go from about $24 billion to $9 billion in a single year. So that added a lot of uncertainty to the market. Um, now, of course, those relationships have, have been smoothed out some, but when you think of your number one export partner basically dropping like a rock, that's that adds a lot of uncertainty. And then when we go forward, you know, another year, then we have the pandemic, which, um, of course, hit all of us uh, hard in, in different ways. But for farmers and ranchers, I, I think we learned a lot about how agriculture supplies different markets. So there's some, uh, you know, strawberry growers who their product is they're growing for the retail market, for grocery stores. And then there's others who are growing for food service, for restaurants and schools and uh, things along, you know, more sort of institutional uh, type of uses. The pandemic sort of upended that. We saw the institutional restaurants, school demand completely evaporate. Um, and we learned that our um, some of our supply chains were maybe not as fluid as we thought they might be. And then now we're adding in, of course, the, the supply chain kinks and, and challenges that we've had as the economy is trying to rebound from a, a global pandemic, uh, which has uh, obviously caused a lot of um, maybe bottlenecks in the supply chain is the, is the best way to put that, where um, nobody wanted certain items for a, a, quite a long amount of time. The economy was sort of in hibernation. And then all of a sudden, everything's back. Um, and so a huge amount of demand for uh, for everything. And so that has caused some pretty significant bottlenecks. So those are those things are all impacting ag and have been in the last several years. And then I'd add, you know, delightful things that, that farmers have to deal with that, that other businesses don't. And that's being in business with Mother Nature. She's a, <laughs> an unreliable business partner, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've had we've had a number of natural disasters ranging from hurricanes to severe drought over the last two years. So I, I would categorize it in uh, total as just saying we've had some really unstable years um, the last four or five years. And I think when you're for any of us, as you're trying to to budget for your family, for your business, if one thing changes, okay, I can work around that. Two things, okay, it's getting harder, but I can still manage. When, But when everything in your business is, um, or in your life is in motion, is, is fluid, it makes it really hard to, to try to plan for the future. And I think that's part of what we're seeing, not just in ag, but in the economy at large, is, my goodness, a lot of moving pieces. And they're moving in big ways. So it makes it hard to predict. Um, what the you know what the future six months a year is going to look like? Yeah, uh, Veronica. La- last question: Is there any from an economic perspective? And I know there are headwinds. Uh, we hear it a lot uh, in the in the mainstream media about um, you know possible recession. But is there anything that tells you? And I'm not going to ask you to predict the future. But is there anything that tells you that this cost 
of this cost increase, this inflationary pressure that we're seeing for food could abate. Um, you know, is there any sense of relief out there, uh, potential sense of relief out there as the year goes on? Uh, maybe Mother Nature, maybe we don't have a big hurricane or tornado season. Um, maybe Mother Nature cooperates. That will help lower um, food prices longer term and maybe get we produce more gas and gasoline and things like that you know the hope is always of course that we have a good growing season and so far that's the um the signs are 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 good and positive that we're going to have uh, a record crop for for wheat and corn and soybeans we had a record number in at least farmers uh in march at the beginning of march uh, we're predicting a record number of uh, harvested acres. Um, and while we had a wet spring and a challenging spring, for the most part, farmers got everything planted. We'll find out today, actually, um, in, the, in these next today, tomorrow, uh, there's some important reports coming out of USDA as to uh, what actually ended up happening. Um, so that, that will certainly help. And I'll, I'll give an example to in, in our survey. So for all of the things that increased, uh, you, as you mentioned, it went up 17%, but there were a couple of items that went down, and most notably uh, strawberries. Um, good for me. Yeah, good for you um, and your antioxidants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So nationally, uh, those prices were down 16% compared to last year, and that's because last year the the drought conditions were um, were – Severe and pretty per- pervasive throughout the sort of the western and midwestern portion of the country. So we saw a huge increase in strawberry prices last year. But this year, while we still are having significant drought in in the west and the southwest, we have better growing conditions and more moisture in other parts of the country. And so those strawberry prices have come down some. So that's certainly you know a good. Um, indication as you said that mother nature doing her part um can can have a positive impact on on food prices so um you know that's unfortunately uh not much that we can do about uh, about that except uh cross our fingers and um look very um hopefully for warm days and and good moisture but uh certainly that will go a long way toward making sure that um that we have plenty of, of production out there uh, for the rest of the year. Well, I, I think a lot of people have their fingers crossed, um, and I guess, as you said, time will tell. But I do know that Independence Day is tomorrow, and Veronica, I want to wish you a very happy Independence Day. I hope you get your strawberries, your deviled eggs, and uh, whatever else you like. Wishing you a happy fourth, and thank you so much for joining us. And We look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Uh, well, thank you very much for the for the invitation, and um, I hope everyone has an enjoyable holiday um, and you know finds ways to mitigate those increased costs so that we can all uh, enjoy each other's company once again. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. 
This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and call Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. That was in technology and consumer products. Joining us on the line, he's the managing editor for thestreet.com, Daniel Klein. Dan, thanks so much for joining us in the program this morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy Independence Day to you, and we're right on the cusp of Independence Day. I guess my first question is, uh, after our interview with the American Farm Bureau Federation on cookouts and the cost of a cookout, what's your favorite Independence Day food? Is it hot dogs? Is it uh, deviled eggs? What is it? Oh, dear God. No, it's hard. It's barbecue, definitely. But I've been thinking about this. Is it, uh, you know, my, my, my garlic lime shrimp I throw on the grill? Is it a, a good chicken sausage because I'm, I'm being careful and not eating so much pork sausage? Is it a marinated flank steak? I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Jeff, you know, I'm moving. And a lot of places in Florida do not allow a grill. I have not had a grill what? for the past six years. Uh, and I will have a grill when I move. So it'll be a couple weeks after Independence Day, but I will be celebrating all of the American grace uh, of the barbecue world. I, I even bought a little smoker. So I will be doing all of those things to uh, make up for the fact that for six years I've not had a grill. Dan, what's, I have to ask you this before we go into the actual stories uh, that we're going to talk about, but what is the rationale? Is it just a fire safety, fire hazard thing, or is it yeah, smell? A lot. No, there's a lot of... You know, high-rise buildings, it's, it's a mix of smell and fire. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot sense. of the way the construction works here just doesn't allow for it. But because we're moving to a, a single family home, uh, we're going to be able to have one. And a lot of places have, like my previous residence had grills on the pool deck, mm-hmm. but that's a six floor pool deck in the sun. It was like grilling on the face of the sun. Yeah. So it was, you know, I used it a couple times, but it was a little difficult to do. Um, you know, and then our other place, our resort place has an outside area, but there's people above us. So if you have a grill, like they have to smell uh, whatever you're cooking. Yeah, and and I get that, I get that, and and certainly fire safe. After watching the Towering Inferno in the 1970s uh, with Steve McQueen and a whole bunch of great actors, Paul Newman, I think was in that. I, I totally can understand that, but but I hope you enjoy uh, when you can finally cook. All right, Dan, let's break down a couple of big stories this week, and and this one's a, a the use of facial recognition, and I, I this one really piqued my interest. And now when you go to the I guess go to the airport, there is a high tech screen that can use your face, Dan, to personalize the flight info that you're going to see on the screen. And that that is, to me, very revolutionary. Yeah, well, it feels like we've been flying the same way since, like, 1975. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you have to go look at that big board. You have to fly in your flight. It's never quite at the gate you expect it to be. Like, it feels like all of this should be personalized. All of the, the safety and security should be both more intimate and more personal, where they're pulling up your info. Look, when I get off a cruise ship in Miami, you walk out, you look at a little screen, and it, by your face, recognizes your passport. You don't have to pull up your passport. And it feels like to me that airports kind of need to move into this modern era where we can really get some of this stuff done. This, this seems like the tiniest possible use of the technology to just make it easier for you to know where you're supposed to go or that your flight was canceled. Because uh, here, here's the secret. Right now, your flight was canceled. Yeah. Uh, Dan, let me ask you this. Is this – I'm trying to figure out who this is for because a lot of us use our phones and we download – I just flew southwest the other week to go back home to my hometown of Baltimore, um, and I got updates like instantaneously. Uh, I didn't even look at the uh, screen or screens in the terminal at all. So it, who is this for? Is this for you and well, I who so, were – So here's the problem. I fly southwest mostly too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Southwest does a pretty good job of it, but the app does not always reflect what's actually happening in the airport, mm-hmm. and that could be much worse with other airlines. So what you want is the truest picture possible, and I agree. The app should give that, but the app doesn't necessarily have the in-airport information. So really, whatever you can do to sync all of those things to make sure, like, you know, I, I've been – I've been sitting in a terminal and it says boarding on the app and it's like, well, we're not boarding. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's simply not happening. So I think that's kind of the thing where however they can make this information flow the best, but there's a lot of screens in airports. And if it can facial recognition, tell you what to do, tell you, Hey, my flight's canceled. My, my flight's been changed, whatever it is. I think that's for the best. But again, this is tip of the iceberg stuff for what we should be doing with facial recognition when it comes to airports and safety and convenience. Dan, just go back, going back to the other point you made, is the data available and why isn't there data sharing? I would think that Southwest, Delta, especially you just made the, the offhand comment that your flight could be canceled. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I think that's obviously that's why a lot of 50 million people are expected to travel uh, this this July 4th weekend or probably en route somewhere today. Um, but is the data available, and, and what do we need to do to create more data sharing between 
what's happening on the ground, um, you know, at the different airports to make sure that it finds its way in the app. Regardless of what you use, whether it's the facial recognition screen in the airport, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on your laptop, et cetera, or text. I mean, I don't know how this works exactly, but it doesn't seem like there's any standardization between, you know, different airlines. Um, like I've flown some of the lesser airlines and, and it's much less up to date in the app than say a Southwest, but Southwest often does seem to lag reality in the app um, or tell you your flight's on time where you're sitting there five minutes past when your flight should have left. So I do think there needs to be some investment in, in making sure this all works. And I'm actually surprised that we haven't had an airline that makes this a feature. Like if I'm Southwest, which is all about the passengers and all about convenience, I would really invest heavily in not only making sure the app is correct, but using AI to figure out, okay, like Dan's flight is canceled, but here's how we're going to rebook him and here's how we're going to notify him. I think I I told you I was in Vegas, you know, I don't know, four or five months ago, and I get back to my hotel room at, you know, one in the morning Vegas time, and I see that my 6 a.m. flight is canceled. And it rebooked me for the next day, which was fine. But then I had to scramble around and find a room. And and, I mean, I stayed in the same room, but I had to make sure the hotel would allow that. And then the reality is it would be a lot better if I could have gotten an email presenting my options. Because after I scrambled around and did all of that, the airline contacted me again and said, oh, wait, we rebooked you for like a 9 a.m. Well, if I had known that, I probably would have just flown and gone home. There's a lot that could be improved. And again, you have to be willing to invest. And right now, the airlines are just coming off a period where they, they, they took billions of dollars from the federal government. They're, they're not all that focused on, on infrastructure and investing and making the flight experience better. Um, and that's a problem because we are dealing with thousands of cancellations every day. And a lot of times those cancellations mean rebooking on other flights. And you know, I've had the experience where it's like, oh, hey, you're – you're canceled on Monday, but don't worry, we've moved you to Wednesday. It's like, well, the thing I'm doing is on Tuesday. So that doesn't really work. It all needs to get better, but I haven't seen any sort of commitment to invest here. Now, do you think that some of that, and I think the argument can be made that these are big companies that can walk and chew gum at the same time, but do you think some of this is like ramping back up, that there are delays, focusing on the operational aspects? And, you know, there's always technological changes that have to be made. Companies are always going through that, whether it's cyber, whether it's some of the things you're suggesting. But do you think maybe it's, it's, a, it's a question of, hey, we just need to focus on getting our planes on the, on the ground, off the ground at the right time. Let's just focus on our schedule. Maybe the, these types of enhancements that you're suggesting can be done on the back end um, once we get that fixed. Yeah, there's also a pretty significant personnel problem right now for the airlines. That, you know, you need enough pilots, you need enough flight attendants. COVID has, has, has stressed that out, has made recruiting hard. We're not training enough pilots in, in the U.S., so, so that's a problem. So it, it's just like truck drivers. Part of the logistics problem we're having in the United States is that we don't have enough truck drivers. Well, if we don't have enough flight attendants, maybe we need to examine whether that's a pretty bad job. You know, we've talked about this before, but on most airlines, flight attendants do not get paid until the door closes meaning getting to the flight, getting the plane ready. If there's a delay, they're not getting paid. They can time out for hours when they spent hours not actually working and getting paid. We need to address these real inequities in that system, and that might make your flights more expensive, but this would be a good time to start doing those things because we're at sort of you know historic highs for, for fuel, 
And as that comes down, we will see, we'll see flights go down. But if they don't go down quite as much because we have to absorb higher costs for flight attendants and, and, and maybe even for pilots, this might be the time to do it because you're about to sort of get that, you know, that nexus of like very high prices for fuel coming down, which, you know, you could see prices come down, but not as much as they would have. So I think there's a lot to happen here. And as we've seen with every labor thing, shortages and not being able to run your business forces you to pay more. We've seen that with a lot of retailers. I think we might see that with airlines now. All right, Dan, let's shift gears to one of our favorite topics between you and I. It's the streaming wars, and both of you, both you and I cut the cord long ago, and we often talk about some of the more popular I, shows. I, I have not cut the cord. I would cut the cord, but I live in an HOA. I don't get the choice of cutting the cord. Okay. Well, I, I, I had thought you – well, you use a lot of – okay. Let me back up and say that you have a lot of streaming services. Okay. Well, I cut the cord many years ago. I can vouch and say that my life is no different, uh, less money is being spent. But I want to ask you about the streaming wars because, you know, a lot of a lot is still being made that Netflix is losing the streaming wars. Disney is gaining. Uh, some of the others are being more selective in content. And I guess my first question is, will anyone win the streaming war to, wars or is it just a uh, it'll be a continuous conflict? No. I mean, here's the thing. Did anyone win the network wars? No, there's plenty of room. There was room for ABC, CBS, NBC, and then later, you know, Fox. You and I remember a time when there was no Fox. Yep. Um, and that's what's going to happen here. There's going to be big winners, and Disney is clearly the big winner because they don't have to produce as much content as anyone else because they have better intellectual property. But Netflix is going to figure this out. Net, net, we're, we're all acting like Netflix lost 20% of its, its subscriber base. Netflix posted a slight decline in subscribers largely because it had to shut Russia off due to the, the unlawful invasion of the Ukraine. So we're in a situation where if you take that number out, Netflix would have been about flat after incredibly record numbers. And Netflix is at kind of a reset point mm-hmm. where, okay, they have their 230 million subscribers, whatever the, the exact number is. There's only so much growth possible. They now have to get better about content and spending less money. And I think this sort of scared them into doing that. And you're, You're seeing it's painful. You're seeing layoffs at Netflix. You're seeing like, hey, maybe let's not make this $300 million movie with The Rock just so our executives can hang out with The Rock. Like maybe let's be a little more careful. Let's think about creating franchises. Like, you know, Disney can literally be like, all right, we are going to make a movie starring some Avenger you've never heard of and you're going to watch it. You know, like I mean, Miss Marvel right now, which is doing really well with with the younger audience. It's not a character too many people are familiar with. You know, they made multiple movies based on Ant-Man, one of my favorite childhood characters, but certainly not a character a lot of people know. That's the world Netflix needs to move into. And then I think you're seeing something interesting shaking out with the, uh, the, the Time Warner Discovery merger, because Discovery has this wonderful 4.99 streaming product that gives you all like the HDTV, the Food Network content, all the kind of stuff you put on the background while you're working or, or doing something else, you know. Guy Fieri is on, you know, visiting diners, drive-ins, and dives. And they're matching that with HBO, which is a premium product that has all this top-tier stuff. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I think there's the reality that you might have a third player there. And then I think it gets really tough. I I don't think Paramount can be a player. I I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. I think you might see different ways of consuming some of this content, like more of a pay-as-you-go, like micropayment. But the reality is... 
we're moving to streaming. We're going to see ESPN move into a, a, a true streaming world in the next few years. That's something they talked about. Uh, and they have to be careful because they have cable contracts. But as the cable world gets smaller, you're going to see the ability to buy almost whatever you want, which, by the way, is more expensive than, than having a cable bundle. Dan, um, are consumers being more – now that the quote-unquote quarantining is over in most places around the globe, especially here in the States, are just consumers being more selective about what they watch? Are they – or maybe are they more frustrated with the ability to select content, find content that they want? Um, you know, What's your sense there, what consumers are actually well, I, looking at? I think when we were all stuck inside for six months – you watched anything you could possibly watch because you had nothing else to do. Now, the option of like, I don't know, meeting your friends at a restaurant is here again. So we're not necessarily going to be consuming the 17th most important show made by Apple TV. So that is going to make us more selective. It is going to change things a little bit. Um, but the reality is there's too much good television right now. So we're going to see some of that shake out. And eventually, we're going to settle back into to different behaviors. Look, as the networks get smaller, you're seeing it now. You're going to see less new programming in the summer from ABC, NBC, CBS, even less like we licensed this show that was produced in Canada like, and are going to air it in the summer. You're going to see less of that and maybe more cheap reality TV programming. Well, that creates a demand. It, create, it creates a need. We also need to get more selective. Like Netflix has famously let creators do whatever they want. And that leads to problems like you, you need executive oversight. And I know like a lot of creative geniuses don't don't like that. But the reality is you need people saying, hey, wait, like, let's make this for the biggest audience possible. Let's let's not be quite so. So, you know, self-referential. And we're going to figure all this out. And there'll be, you know, really big TV projects. You've got Amazon, you know, with like a Lord of the Rings project coming up. You know, we had Foundation, a, a seemingly unfilmable series of books turn into an amazing series on, on Apple TV. So there's going to be really good stuff, but it gets harder and harder to find it. It gets harder and harder to get an audience. And that's like an embarrassment of riches. It's, it's, uh, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. And, 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 and the, like any market, it goes through fits and spasms and it evolves. And we're going to have to see that. I think I do agree. I think consumers are being more selective. And um, I think it's also hard to find some of this content when you look at some of these platforms. Dan, we're going to have to leave it there. Always great to catch up with you and to get your analysis on the main issues of the week. Enjoy your Independence Day. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye, Dan. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, somebody you think we should talk to. Drop us a line and don't forget for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives? Check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. That's www.broadcastretirementnetwork.com. And, of course, visit our streaming partners. We don't have a show tomorrow because it is July 4th or Independence Day, but we're back again on Tuesday, July 5th, twenty. 22 for another edition of BRN AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.